The content in this podcast is not meant to replace professional help or advice. This is my story, and a lot of the things that I talk about might or might not help you. Please don't take my experiences as a sign to stop your progress or professional plan. These are my experiences and my research. Hello, my beautiful people. Welcome back to the Mental Magic Podcast. Another week, another mental illness to discuss. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope your weeks weren't too stressful. Uh, This week's episode is going to be about depression. And according to the poll on my Instagram, a lot of people haven't been diagnosed with it, but think they have it. Um, Most people know the signs and symptoms and know people with depression. And it was like half and half on trying to get help. And hardly anybody knows the difference or the different types of depression. So it was interesting to see the results and just to see like where people fall in the polls. (laughs) So if you are listening and you participated, thank you. The thing that was interesting to me about the polls was that I asked if anybody wants more information on treatments. And some people said yes, but no one said no. So that was really weird. Um, instead, they just didn't answer. So like they they saw the question. They didn't answer it, but they also didn't put no. So I don't know if I'm thinking too much into that, but that was definitely thought inducing. I, I thought about that for a while. <laughs> I don't know if it means like. I don't know if I want treatment options or if it's like, bitch, no one's trying to get help for depression. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm forcing you guys to get any treatment. I just, I'm just going to provide resources and treatment anyway, just in case you are interested in it. <laughs> Speaking of resources, I do want to mention the resources that I'm providing this episode. Um, if there is one thing I do know, it's that when I'm depressed, I don't have energy. And the last thing I want to do is exercise. As much as I know it'll make me feel better, sometimes I literally just can't. And I know a lot of people get like that too. That's where bed yoga comes in. <laughs> Not only is yoga relaxing for your body, it's pretty easy and it's pretty immediate with the satisfaction. Um, When most people think of yoga, they think of like those hour-long flows where people are bending into like pretzels and then landing at handstands. And I'm, I'm not asking you to do that. Uh, yoga has a ton of different poses and they all can benefit you, but you also need to find poses and stretches that suit you and your journey with mental health or just physical health or just health in general. There's a ton of videos and apps and courses and Uh, even like studio classes in your city that can help you 
get into yoga as a daily practice. But what helped me was to start in a place I couldn't really leave, which was my bed. So I've provided a link to a website that provides picture and description to a 15-minute bed yoga routine. It's recommended to do it for 15 minutes, but if that's too much for you right now, just do what you can. But really try. Um, You don't have to leave your bed. So you could do it right before you fall asleep at night or right when you wake up before you get out of bed. I'm also providing a link to a depression test in case you are not sure if you or someone you know is dealing with depression. Uh, The test is a tool to see where you fall on the dis- on the depression scale. It's not something you should use to officially diagnose yourself. You need a professional to determine that. So please don't take the test, diagnose yourself, and then self-medicate. I highly suggest you take the results to your mental health professional or PCP and allow them to help you take the next steps. Sometimes there are other health issues that may be causing your depression, and if you get help with that issue, you may be able to reduce the symptoms of depression overall. I've also added the suicide helpline in case you ever need it, or if somebody you know needs it. It is 24-7, and they offer phone calls, text, and chat on the website. They've also added a new video feature for people who are hard of hearing or deaf so they can receive help as well. So please reach out for help if you need it. I know it's fucking hard as hell to ask for help, especially when you're feeling hopeless and like life isn't worth it anymore. I completely get that. But if you can muster up some energy to just begin the process of trying to talk, please do it. And if you don't feel comfortable using 988 and you still want to talk to someone, I am a pretty good listener. So you're more than welcome to contact me on social media or join my Discord and talk to other people who are going to, who are going or have gone through the same feelings. Um, I'm going to add my social media links for you guys too in the description. So look out for those. So what's depression? Depression is one of the most common mental illnesses as about 280 million people in the world have it. Women are more likely to have depression than men, yet men tend to commit suicide at higher rates than women do. Interesting, right? It's mainly because men tend to be afraid or embarrassed to seek help. It's a disorder that negatively affects how you feel, your thoughts, and your actions. It causes intense feelings of sadness and often a loss of interest in things that you once enjoyed. It is considered a mood disorder that causes these feelings to be persistent and negatively affects your everyday life. The difference between simply being sad and having depression is that sadness goes away and depression lasts longer than two weeks and it interferes in everyday functions. 
being sad is normal when bad things happen. Everyone gets sad, but suffering with depression is different and awful. Remember that sadness is an emotion and depression is a mental illness. Sadness is usually a reaction to something that happens, while depression is a general state of being unpleasantly upset. Sadness is a temporary change in your mood, and depression changes your entire life. Anyone can be sad. To have depression needs to be diagnosed, though. Some of the common symptoms of depression include... Feelings of sadness, tearfulness, emptiness, or hopelessness. Angry outbursts, irritability, or frustration, even over super small things. Loss of interest or pleasure in most or all normal activities, like sex, hobbies, or sports. Sleeping too little or too much. Tiredness and lack of energy, so even small tasks take extra effort reduced appetite and weight loss or increased appetite and weight gain physical problems that can't be explained such as backache or headaches anxiety restlessness or nervousness slowed thinking speaking or body movements feelings of worthlessness or guilt Focusing on past failures or blaming yourself for things that aren't your responsibility. Trouble thinking, concentrating, making decisions, or remembering things. And frequent or repeated mention of not wanting to live, suicidal thoughts, suicide attempts, or suicide. And remember, these symptoms have to last at least two weeks and they have to uh, present a change in functioning for a diagnosis of depression. There are some things that put you at risk for developing depression. Those include chemicals in the brain being off, increased levels of monoamine oxidase A, which cause low levels of serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. I think I completely butchered that norepinephrine. I think I said that right. <laughs> but chemical imbalances aren't always the cause of depression. Depression often runs in families. About 40 to 50% of depression is hereditary and even more if it's severe. If a first-degree relative, like a parent, sibling, or child, has depression, you are three times more likely to be diagnosed. But you can still develop it even if no one in your family has it. People who have low self-esteem, or who get easily overwhelmed or stressed, or who are pessimistic in nature tend to have more problems with depression. Certain personality traits often lead to someone being more susceptible to having depression. Also, being in an environment that is violent, being neglected, being abused, or suffering through poverty often makes people vulnerable to depression. Airborne pollution, noise pollution, and natural disasters are also common instances that can cause depression as well. Unbeknownst to many people, including myself, there are a few types of depression, 
Um, I knew there was types of depression, but I didn't know there was as many as I found out. So the first type of depression I'm going to talk about is called major depressive disorder. This is a common type of depression that has you feeling depressed most of the time for most days. The common symptoms of depression apply here and are diagnosed with this type if you have been feeling five or more of the symptoms for most days and for longer than two weeks. Um, One of the symptoms has to be a depressed mood or loss of interest in loved activities. Um, It comes out in different ways for everyone. You could be anxious and feel restless and tense most days have trouble concentrating because you're constantly worried about something terrible happening um, and you might not have control of the situation. You could be intensely sad and lose all interest in activities you once enjoyed. Also, you might feel bad when good things happen. This could lead to feeling worse in the mornings when you wake up, losing weight, sleeping poorly, and having suicidal thoughts. You could feel extremely uneasy most of the time and end up talking a ton, moving around for no reason, like fidgeting your hands or clothes or pacing around the room, and acting impulsive. Persistent depressive disorder is when depression lasts for two years or longer. It's a term that describes dysthymia and chronic major depression. Dysthymia is a mild but long-lasting form of depression where dysphoria, a state of unease or dissatisfaction, fluctuates, causing the person to have normal moods sometimes. If you're eating, sleeping, and energy change, you start to have low self-esteem, trouble concentrating, and feeling hopeless. You might need to see a mental health professional or be put on meds or both. This disorder may be longer lasting than major depressive disorder, but less severe. Although if you leave it untreated for a long time, it could develop into other mental health problems. Bipolar disorder was actually formerly known as a manic depression, and it's when moods range from extreme highs to extreme lows. When in the low phase, you'll have symptoms of major depression. A lot of the time, doctors medicate people with this kind of depression, but isn't treated with regular depression meds because it's almost like taking a sugar pill. Other times, the depression meds increase the risk of depression getting much worse and more frequent. Untreated bipolar disorder can result in serious drug and alcohol problems, suicide attempts, and legal or financial issues. Often, bipolar disorder is misdiagnosed as major depression as they share the same symptoms. This is what happened to me. I was diagnosed with depression when I was pretty young, and it wasn't until my late 30s that my current therapist recognized that it was more than depression. We came to the conclusion when my depression treatments weren't working, including meds and therapy. My symptoms got worse over time. I had symptoms that exceeded what major depression is, like having mania following the depression. I wasn't experiencing regular depression since mine was heightened and lasted a terribly long time. Most people with bipolar disorder, including me, 
don't tend to seek help when they're manic, almost always when they're depressed. This is because when you feel manic, you feel fine, like you don't need help. In my experience, the more intense the mania, the less I felt like I had a problem. People of color tend to be misdiagnosed more because we are not we are not believed to have bipolar disorder, but other disorders that usually don't even make sense to our symptoms. This often leads to being over or incorrectly medicated for illnesses we don't even have. I'll go more into bipolar disorder in another episode. Seasonal affective disorder is a type of depression that often happens during the fall or winter months when it starts to get darker earlier and overall you get less sunlight. This type tends to go away in the spring or summer. Light therapy is actually great for this. Uh, You just got to use a special light therapy light for about 15 to 30 minutes every day to combat the depression. The shorter days seem to be linked to chemical changes in the brain that cause it, along with melatonin issues that can also cause it. This is diagnosed after a mental health exam and looking over previous medical history by a mental health professional. If these symptoms come back every year around the same time, that is a huge identifier that you may have seasonal depression. Psychotic depression is when a person has major depression symptoms along with psychotic symptoms like hallucinations, which is hearing and seeing things that aren't there, delusions, and paranoia. This type of depression tends to be episodic, which means the symptoms last a certain amount of time and then they go away for a while. Although it can be chronic, which is usually more than two years, It can also last less than 24 months. The delusions and hallucinations usually reflect the person's deeply depressed feelings. Like they might be convinced that they're to blame for something or that they have committed a crime of some sort. People with this depression can get extremely agitated, meaning they can't sit still, relax, or are constantly fidgeting. There is also something called psychomotor retardation where their thoughts and physical movements slow down significantly. People with psychotic depression are at a high risk for suicidal thoughts. Genes often play a role since depression runs in the family. Life events can be a cause, like relationship problems, financial problems, health problems, or traumatic experiences. But for the most part, it is not well known why people develop psychosis. Peripartum or postpartum depression, is when women develop major depression in the weeks and months after childbirth, and 1 in 10 men developing depression during the peripartum period. Most new moms experience the baby blues after giving birth, where they deal with mood swings, crying spells, anxiety, and terrible sleep. The baby blues begin around 2 to 3 days after delivery and last up to about 2 weeks. It's when the mom starts to experience a more severe and long-lasting form of depression when it becomes a concern. It's often called peripartum depression because the symptoms often start before the delivery of the baby. Sometimes, very rarely, moms experience postpartum psychosis that may develop after childbirth. This is not a flaw or a weakness on the mom. It does not make them less or broken. 
It's just a complication of giving birth. The sooner you can manage your symptoms, the easier it will be to bond with your baby. Premenstrual dysphoric disorder, or PMDD as most people know it, is when women have depression along with other symptoms when their period is going to start. Besides the depression, the person may deal with mood swings, irritability, anxiety, trouble concentrating, fatigue, changes in appetite and sleep, and feeling overwhelmed. Doctors tend to give birth control for this, but this could have an adverse effect as sometimes birth control can cause an increase in depression. This is much more serious than regular PMS. The symptoms are severe and often start about a week or two before your period starts. Along with the emotional symptoms, you can also deal with physical symptoms like cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, headaches, and body aches. It is not well known what causes PMDD or PMS, but they believe it could be hormonal changes and serotonin level changes, which some women are more sensitive to than others. This is diagnosed by your doctor reviewing your medical history and performing a physical exam along with you keeping a calendar or journal of your symptoms. You have to have five or more PMDD symptoms, including at least one mood-related symptom, and a doctor may recommend antidepressants and over-the-counter pain pills to alleviate the symptoms. Relaxation techniques are extremely important to do for this disorder, either alone or along with medication. Changing eating habits and adding some physical activity to your lifestyle could greatly reduce symptoms as well. Situational depression, also named stress response syndrome, is caused by a stressful or traumatic event that causes symptoms of clinical depression as a reaction to the event. This type of depression shows up in a few months after the event while you're trying to manage the changes in your life. This is different from clinical depression because clinical depression is a mood disorder that happens with or without a stressor and is often more severe than situational depression and typically lasts longer. Symptoms can include anger, changes in appetite, consistent fear or worry, difficulty doing tasks, difficulty focusing, difficulty sleeping, crying frequently, suffering through grief, hopelessness, losing interest in normal activities, overwhelming stress or anxiety, and sadness. This kind of depression usually improves after enough time passes after the event noticing an improvement in mood and feeling like things are getting better. If you do not treat situational depression, it could turn into clinical depression. Not all life events that trigger situational depression have to be traumatic. Some are happy moments that cause major life changes. Things like car accidents, having a baby, illness, losing a fam family member or someone close to you, starting a new job, retirement, and global pandemics. You can try to do some things to combat the depression like expressing how you're feeling to someone you trust, meditation, breathing techniques, and journaling. If your symptoms last for longer than a few weeks and they aren't getting better, then it's definitely time to talk to a professional so they can help you figure out if this is a rough patch or something more. 
Atypical depression is a type of depression where you experience temporary mood boosts in response to positive events. This sadness isn't as persistent as with typical depression. For example, with atypical depression, you could be extremely sad, but going to your best friend's birthday party could greatly improve your mood. With major or typical depression, you can't escape the sadness. This type of depression tends to begin at an early age and lasts much longer than typical depression. Symptoms for atypical depression are a tad different as they include an increase in appetite and weight gain, sleeping more than normal, feeling like your arms and legs are heavy, and being overly sensitive to criticism. It is twice as common in women than men and begins around teen years to early 20s. It's pretty common as it affects 15 to 36% of people with depression. It is not known why exactly some people have it, but they believe it could be because of the lack of functioning in neurotransmitters, which are the chemicals that carry signals from the brain to other parts of the body, and neuroreceptors, which are the ones that receive the signals. Uh, having a family member with bipolar disorder or persistent depressive disorder, trauma, chronic stress, chronic illness, grief, and a history of substance abuse. Your doctor will more than likely order blood work to rule out any other possible health causes that could be attributing to the depression and then go from there. When using the appropriate treatment, you can absolutely manage your symptoms. And lastly, treatment-resistant depression. This affects about one-third of people who try treatments for depression, and they end up having no success. Sometimes the reason for this is because you may have other conditions that make your depression hard to treat. With all forms of mental illness, treatments are trial and error. A lot of people have to try multiple different treatments, to find a good combo that helps them manage their symptoms. But when you have treatment-resistant depression, the trial and error becomes necessary until you find something that alleviates your symptoms. A lot of patience is needed for this. If you are not yet seeing a psychiatrist, you will more than likely be referred to one. When you see your healthcare professional, make sure to be honest about your current life situations, the treatments you've tried and how it went, the medications you are taking and have taken, whether or not you're taking your meds correctly, your health conditions, and also you should be open to the possibility that you might have another mental health condition. You can try things like giving your current medication more time to work or increasing the dosage, switching meds entirely, adding a different antidepressant, adding a medication used for another disorder, And consider pharmacogenic testing. I really hope I didn't butcher that. Um, This is a test that checks genes that show how your body processes medications. I did a pharmacogenic test with the therapist I have now, but at her old location in Scottsdale. I've always had a huge problem with medications not working for me or or working for a few weeks and then completely just not working anymore. Uh, Once my psychiatrist realized that I was going through meds like water and nothing was helping, she offered the test to me. 
The test is a blood test. It takes about two to three weeks for the results to come back. And I ended up finding out I have something wrong with me that makes it almost impossible for like 90% of the meds to benefit me. And this is including um, other medications other than just mental health medications like pain medication, you know, medications for like other organs and stuff. Um, After some research, I realized that the test is really expensive. (laughs) I got lucky and I have insurance that covered some of it. And then my psychiatrist allowed me to join like the broke girl program uh, that covered the rest of the test. So if you are interested in taking this test, I suggest you research to see if your insurance covers it first. Um, Insurance companies tend to want diagnosis and history that you need the test before they cover the costs so you might need to explore other options before going down this route so that you have a backup as to why you need the test so let's dive into some treatment options your doctor of course like i've said before uh will more than likely want to take a blood test to make sure there isn't a health condition or a vitamin deficiency that might be causing your depression symptoms They'll also want to evaluate uh, yours and your family's medical history as as well as cultural and environmental factors so they can arrive to the appropriate diagnosis and plan a proper course of action. Between 80 to 90% of people with depression eventually will respond well and gain relief from whatever treatment works best for them. So the first treatment I want to talk about is called electroconvulsive therapy or ECT. This tends to be reserved for people suffering from severe major depression that haven't responded to other treatments. It's a brief electrical simulation of the brain while the patient is under anesthesia. The patient will typically receive treatments two to three times a week totaling six to 12 treatments. The patient is managed by trained professionals that include a psychiatrist, anesthesiologist, and a nurse or physician assistant. It's been around since the 1940s, and after years of improvements, its effectiveness has been recognized as a mainstream treatment rather than a last resort. Along with depression, it can also treat severe mania, catatonia, and agitated or aggressive people with dementia. It's also safe to use during pregnancy when medications needed might harm the fetus. Some risks and side effects include confusion, memory loss, although the memories usually come back after a few months after treatment ends, nausea, headache, jaw pain, muscle aches, and possible complications with anesthesia. During the treatment while under anesthesia, The doctor presses a button on the ECT machine, which induces a seizure that lasts less than 60 seconds. You will not be aware of the seizure. You do not have any physical reaction other than the rhythmic movement of your foot if you happen to have a blood pressure cuff around your ankle. They will have an EEG going to record the electrical activity in your brain showing when the seizure begins and ends. After a few minutes, the effects of the anesthetic wears off and you are taken to a recovery area where you will be monitored for any potential problems. Many people notice an improvement after about six treatments, 
but it might not work for some people. Although you may notice symptoms have improved, you must continue treatments, but not as often as in the beginning. Be aware that following treatments may include medications or therapy. Another treatment is called transcranial magnetic stimulation, or TMS. I'm more familiar with this one because my sister actually went through this and uh, didn't really work for her, but I heard really good things about other people that were doing it with her. So it works for some people, it doesn't for others. This is a treatment where an electromagnetic coil is placed on your scalp and the coil delivers magnetic pulses that stimulate the nerve cells in the region of your brain involved with mood control and depression. It's said to activate parts of your brain that have decreased activity due to the depression. There are two kinds of TMS, deep TMS and RTMS, which is repetitive TMS. Deep TMS coils stimulate deeper and wider areas of the brain compared to RTMS. Deep TMS has been approved to treat OCD, migraines, and to help people stop smoking. RTMS is non-invasive as it does not require surgery, anesthesia, or implanting electrodes. It also does not cause seizures or memory loss, like an ECT. Despite it being considered safe, there are some side effects like scalp discomfort or pain, headaches, tingling, spasms or twitching of the facial muscles, and lightheadedness. The physicians performing the treatment can adjust the levels of stimulation to reduce the side effects. There are some possible serious side effects, but they are very rare, like seizures, an onset of mania for people with bipolar disorder, and hearing loss if the ears are not protected during the treatment. Before the treatment, your doctor may need a physical exam that includes lab tests and any other tests to determine if you're a good candidate and a mental health evaluation to see where your level of depression falls. Make sure you tell your doctor if you're pregnant, have any implanted devices in your body. If you're taking medications, have a history of seizures, other medical conditions, brain damage from illness or injury, frequent or severe headaches, other mental health conditions, and if you've ever had an RTMS treatment before. If you are interested in trying TMS, reach out to your insurance to see if they cover it. Most insurances cover it as long as you have the proper documentation from your physician proving that you have depression and would benefit from the treatment. Most insurances will want to mainly see that you've tried multiple depression medications and they haven't worked. You will do sessions daily, five times a week for four to six weeks, the procedure lasting from three to 20 minutes. Since there's no need for anesthesia, you can resume normal activities right after your treatment. Although it isn't known if RTMS maintenance will benefit your symptoms, it is recommended that you follow your treatments with medicine or talk therapy. If your depression improves for two to three months and then returns, it is suggested that you repeat the RTMS treatment. Vagus nerve stimulation is a surgical procedure where a pacemaker type of device is implanted into the body and attached to a stimulating wire that is threaded along the vagus nerve. It's connected to the left vagus nerve 
and when it's activated, it sends electrical signals to be sent to the brainstem. The right vagus nerve isn't normally used because the stimulation is more likely to affect the heart function. There are also newer non-invasive vagus nerve stimulation devices that don't require surgery. Currently, the non-invasive treatments are to treat cluster headaches and migraines, and it's held against the skin near the neck where the stimulation blocks the pain signals to relieve the head pain. This is another treatment that tends to be used after all other treatments haven't worked. It has been approved for the treatment of depression that is hard to treat or treatment resistant, haven't improved after four or more meds or ECT or both, and who are continuing vagus nerve treatments. Although overall the stimulator implant is safe for most people, there are risks from surgery to the brain stimulation. Surgery risks are rare, but are similar to normal surgery risks like pain where the incision is made, infection, difficulty swallowing, and temporary vocal cord paralysis. Some side effects that can happen after surgery include voice changes, voice hoarseness, throat pain, cough, headaches, shortness of breath, trouble swallowing, tingling or prickling of the skin, trouble sleeping, or worse, sleep apnea. Most people tolerate these side effects well, and they typically lessen over time, although in some cases the side effects may last the entire time the implant is in. You can adjust the electrical impulses to lessen the side effects, or if they are too much to tolerate, they can shut it off completely. There are also different types of therapy you can try, like talk therapy. Um, One is behavioral therapy where the patient re-engages in things that they once enjoyed. Cognitive therapy, where the patient modifies unhelpful thinking patterns and identifying underlying negative beliefs. Cognitive behavioral therapy, where the patient aims to modify unhelpful thinking and behavioral patterns that impair their everyday functioning. Interpersonal psychotherapy, where the patient learns to improve relationships by learning to communicate emotions and needs, as well as problem-solving. Mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, where patients use methods from cognitive therapy with strategies like mindfulness meditations. Psychodynamic therapy, where the patient is encouraged to freely explore their current moods and recognize patterns of behavior and any unexpressed feelings. And supportive therapy, where the patient and the therapist form a therapeutic relationship where the patient receives a lot of empathy and unconditional positivity towards whatever the patient is going through, and they explore different perspectives. And of course, one of the most well-known treatments is medicine. Medicine can help a lot of people who have lost control of their depression. Taking antidepressants can help many people lift their moods to the point where they can get their life back and do things that they didn't feel were possible when in the depths of their depression. As someone who decided to get off medication, I'm still a firm believer that medication can be amazing. I fully support anyone's decision to try medication. I've seen people's lives completely change from a simple pill or a combination of pills and other treatments. 
Although I am also a firm believer that if your depression is manageable without meds and you can try other treatments like talk therapy, CBT, and exercise or diet change, then absolutely go that route. Medications can often cause side effects that are worse than the depression itself. In my experience with medications, I've learned that a lot of the time, one medication's side effects can lead to more medications to combat those side effects. And before I knew it, I was taking over 10 pills a day before the age of 30. Like with everything in life, you should always be aware of the possible negatives in life, including side effects to the things we put in our bodies. Everyone reacts to things differently. I've taken a ridiculous amount of medications to combat depression that would either do nothing but give me side effects or worked for two weeks and then nothing. Yet, I have plenty of friends who have gone to the doctor once, gotten one medication, and it worked since they started it. I highly suggest you take the proper steps to getting medication, take the blood tests, try a less invasive treatment, and then start trying to regulate with medications. Remember, it's not shameful to take medication. It's one of the bravest things you can do to admit you need help and then seek that help. Depression is something that I've dealt with longer than I can remember. I honestly do not know a time before depression. It's been a gradual up and down for over 30 years, and I'm sure that's from the bipolar disorder. I've had to battle it on my own for most of my life because I never had anyone to go to with it. I didn't want to open up to my therapists as a child because I was terrified that they would tell my family how I'm feeling and I would be punished or belittled for it. Latinas in general are twice as more likely to develop depression than Latin men, white people, or black people. And employed Latinas are way more stressed than unemployed ones because they usually have to take on the entire responsibility of being a mom and having multiple jobs or because they are extremely overqualified for jobs that don't appreciate them or even better when we deal with racial or gender discrimination. Just simply in our culture, we are forced to stay quiet and put up with way more than we should. My oldest sister should not have had to have been my mom because my mother was always gone and it's not like she could have said anything anyway since it was expected of her. Even when our families are toxic as hell, we are taught to just shut up and deal with it. That family is always most important and nothing else matters because no one else will ever love us or be there for us more than family. I don't know about any of my fellow Latinas listening, but... I was close with some of my family as a kid, a few cousins mainly, and as we grew older, everyone just kind of forgot about each other except for holidays when everyone pretends we're a family because we're all in the same room eating. Religion wasn't a huge thing in my family. I mean, we did go to church and I did have to go through the whole Catholic classes and whatnot, but religion wasn't drilled in our heads like it was into some of my friends. The fear of God within the Latin community is a lot of the reason many people do not get help for mental illness or simply don't believe it exists. A lot of things in our culture stop people from getting help, like income, since therapy is not cheap. The fear of judgment from others, since no one wants to be seen as loco or crazy. The lack of Spanish-speaking therapists. And believing mental illness is a huge weakness, especially in men. 
a lot of Latin people turn to healers to treat their mental illness symptoms. And then they don't tell doctors about the treatments they're on in fear of being ridiculed. So they'll take the doctor's advice and treatment options and then ignore them. Although a lot of the treatments healers provide are beneficial and can help, they can also negatively affect the patient taking medications, causing them to possibly not work correctly. So dealing with this my whole life has been interesting. (laughs) My dad has always been against anything mental health. And because my mom is in the medical industry, she understands it a little bit better, but still holds on to her really outdated opinions on mental health. My extended family either physically lives in Mexico still, or they live in Mexico in their heads, but physically live in the U.S. So their mentalities are extremely old school. Most of my family is traumatized. Honestly, I would change that to everyone in my family is traumatized somehow. (laughs) Both my parents lived in extreme poverty and barely finished elementary school. On both sides of my family, my grandparents had over 10 kids each, and most of them survived. Not only did every single one of my uncles and aunts go through crazy traumatizing shit, they all ignored it and imposed it onto their kids. I honestly can't tell you one cousin that doesn't show signs of some type of mental illness, even if they don't admit it or think they have anything. We were all burdened with generational trauma along with our parents' personal traumas they refused to get help for. Therefore, growing up, I really had nowhere to turn. I was often told I was too emotional when I expressed any emotion other than happiness, and when I was allowed to talk, I would go off and everyone hated it. So I never really learned how to deal with my depression. I just kept moving while feeling like if a car hit me, I would just accept it. I've tried different spiritual or magical things like cleansing myself, balancing my chakras, covering myself in herbs and oils, meditation, and a lot of other things. But my depression is so deeply embedded into my soul that I truly have no idea how to shake it. And that's why I see a therapist. I recognize that my depression is much more intricate than I once thought. I have my moments of mania where I finally get a break from the deep sorrow, but the depression is always there. It's a little demon that sits in my heart and waits for me to feel good to remind me why I don't deserve to. It's all the negative things I've been told that swim around my mind and are so prominent in my life that I don't have any positive thoughts to combat them with. I don't believe I have good traits. I don't believe I'm good enough for anyone or anything. I sabotage myself every chance I get because I truly don't think I matter. I don't have faith in myself. I don't believe in myself. I don't know why my friends are my friends or why they stick around. I am my number one worst enemy and no one can beat me up worse than I do on a daily basis. But I'm actively working on it. It's hard, and I'm not enjoying the process of facing my traumas and working through them. But I have a tiny bit of hope that there will eventually be a light at the end of the sewer tunnel I'm stuck in. I have to keep reminding myself that nothing worth it is easy. To wrap up this episode, I want to remind you guys that there are links to the resources I mentioned at the beginning in the description of the podcast. There is a link for a 15-minute bed yoga flow that, again, you can take your time with and if you can't commit 15 minutes. 
There is another link to a depression test to see where you fall on the scale of depression and give you a little bit of a look into whether or not you should see a professional or find ways to deal with it on your own. I provided the number to the suicide hotline and a link to their website in case you prefer to chat rather than text or call. And finally, I provided my social media links for Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Discord for you to use to reach out to me if you need to talk or resources or if you want to follow my mental health journey. Please feel free to use these resources as you or anyone you know may need. Thank you for listening to Mental Magic. I wish you luck on your journey with depression and I look forward to providing you with more mental health information in the next episode.